really just in these few brief moments that we have uh, the rest of our time, my hope is that we would begin to enter into this Lenten season in a way that makes both the, the sting of sin and the sweetness of salvation more vibrant in our lives, more meaningful, more real uh, as we go through this season of Lent. Um, usually in life, we, we look for the balance in things, and, and often that's actually a really healthy approach. We don't want too much of this. We don't want too much of that. So instead, we try to find someplace in the middle that doesn't fall into either kind of extreme. But when it comes to the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that's actually not at all what we want to do. Uh, to attempt to find some kind of midpoint between the sting or the sorrow of sin and the, the joy of salvation really robs us of understanding the story that we are really in as human beings. So we really instead need to perceive all of the sorrow, all the, all the sting of, of sin, so that we might taste all of the joy of salvation. And the way to do that is to explore um, something that we call depravity. Uh, if we're going to celebrate the salvation that has been purchased by Jesus through his death and his resurrection, then we need to know what we are being saved from in the first place. And the answer, in short, one of the ways we could answer that is depravity. It, we're, we're saved from the corruption or, or the fracture of the image of God in, in each of us. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, the Apostle Paul is quoting from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, and he says this, it says, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We hear those words, and, and one of my at least gut reactions is, what, what has gone so wrong? What has gone so wrong? It didn't begin this way. In the book of Genesis, we read that men and women are created with inherent worth and value and dignity made in the image of God. But sin mars that image of God in us not in an irredeemable or irreconcilable way, but in a way that affects every aspect of, of life. Almost 500 years ago, actually, to the, to the year, um, many of the reformers spoke of what they called total depravity. But the word or the phrase total depravity can actually be a little bit misleading. We might hear total depravity and think that humanity or that the world is as bad as it possibly could be. But actually, that's thankfully not, not the case. Because we're image bearers of God, there remains in us, tainted as it might be, very much intact remnants of the image of God. So a better term for what the Reformers were really trying to speak to when they coined that, that phrase is what we could call pervasive depravity, meaning that sin affects absolutely everything, that there's no facet of my life that can avoid or escape the effects of sin, that our entire being and our entire world around us has been corrupted, has been fractured. And this is what we really have to be honest about. And Lent, one of the things that we get to do in Lent, it affords us the opportunity to do just that, to be honest, to come face to face with the reality of how pervasive my depravity is. Sin affects my head. Uh, it affects the way that I think. It affects the way that I view and understand the world around me. Sin affects my heart. It affects my emotions. 
So I react to circumstances in sinful ways. I react with anger instead of compassion. And I react with jealousy instead of generosity. I react with pride instead of humility. And sin also affects my hands. I do the things that I should not do, and I don't do the things that I should do. And so left to ourselves in the midst of this, we find ourselves in need of rescue. We, we need salvation. But as many of you have been, uh, if you're in the church for any substantial period of time, the word salvation is one of those churchy kind of words that we use it so often it can kind of lose its meaning. We can kind of forget what it is that we're actually talking about. And so just in a brief moment, I just want to consider that tonight. What is it that we need to be saved from? What is salvation? What do we need to be saved from? And it's not just one thing. For one, we need to be saved from the justice of God. That's one of the things we need to be saved from. Uh, because sin is primarily an offense against God and his, perf- his perfection and his holiness, that, that demands that he do something about the existence of sin. And because that's the case, we need rescue from the justice of God. Justice is one of those things that we love to talk about when it's pertaining to other people and doesn't quite feel the same joy about talking about justice when we're talking about what that means for me, uh, left to myself. In Romans chapter 2, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says that in our depravity, we store up wrath for ourselves on the day when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We also read in Scripture that God desires that none should perish. He's the one, even as we talked about this past Sunday, who lovingly and urgently and diligently seeks after that which has been lost. But he also is the just God who must make an end of sin. And so depravity means we need to be saved from the justice of God. It also means that we need to be saved from ourselves. Depravity means that we, by both our nature and by our choices, are constantly in this self-destructive pattern where we, from which we cannot escape by our own power. And we read about this pattern really in Romans 1. It's one of the best places that we see this spelled out. We, we start by rejecting what God has revealed about himself. And that leads us to... to to, in our thinking, turn away from God. And our, and our wrong thinking, turning away from God, leads us to turn away with our actions from God. And we go down and down and around that spiral over and over again, eventually getting to the point where we call what is bad good, and we call what is good bad. And then it says that God gives us over to that. He gives us over to these self-destructive patterns. He lets us go our own way. And since that path only leads to really a fuller and fuller expression of our depravity, We really need to be saved from ourselves. We also need to be saved from Satan, sin, and death. Depravity means that we we are responsible for our rejection of God, right? We are not mere victims. Uh, We are not just a product of our society or influenced by bad examples around us. That said, there very much are powerful external elements and influences, and we need salvation from those too. We need salvation from Satan. We need salvation from the one the Bible calls the deceiver, the great enemy of our souls, who would seek to turn us away from God and his saving work. We need salvation from the sin that is committed against us and over which we have no control and no guilt that is just done to us. We need to be saved from that. And we need salvation from the ultimate consequence of sin. As we think about our mortality during Lent, we, we also connect that to the reason for our mortality in the first place, that sin is, that death is a consequence of sin. There's this sting to death because it's an intruder into God's original good creation. And so we've got this 
hardwired longing in each of us to be free from death. And as we go into the Lenten season, we get to look ahead to the day where we celebrate the fulfillment of that as Jesus rises from the dead on Easter Sunday. So I don't know uh, how often you think about these things, how often you, you step back and think about things like depravity and salvation and what it is that we need to be saved from. If you're like me, it's easy for these things to be on the back burner and the tyranny of the urgent, you know, just all the stuff in our lives that has to get done and the people that we're trying to, to care about in our families and our friends and in our workplaces, all of that just, just consumes time and energy and attention and makes these things not that important in our minds. But to deny or to ignore or to suppress the reality of depravity is to deny really a significant part of the story of what it means to be human. And it's to suppress or to deny in a way that would dull and desensitize us to the real richness of what Jesus came into the world to do, which is to save us not from the small little mistakes that we make, but really from the depth of our depravity. Romans 5.8 says that God shows his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we read that verse, and what we see there is that our perception of God's love, our perception of the saving work of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, that's actually directly connected to it, directly corresponds to our perception of sin. So if sin is just kind of a big deal, if it's a small thing, then likewise our perception will be that so is God's love a small thing, so is the death of Jesus a small thing. But on the other hand, if sin is a big deal, if it's not just this small pesky problem, but really a, a massive pervasive fracture of the image of God in us, if it's depravity, as we've been talking about, then the death of Jesus, then the love of God will grow ever larger in our eyes, ever more beautiful, ever more necessary. We know the end of the story. We get to start into the Lenten season knowing that Easter's coming. That's a real gift for us. And because that's true, um, may you have the courage in these days and these weeks that follow to come face to face with your depravity. May you see and may God really put a spotlight on the tragedy and the horror of your sin and the real need that each of us has for rescue. And in seeing the depths of the bad news, then may the good news of Jesus' salvation taste that much sweeter when we get to celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday together. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, eternal and almighty Father, we join with the first Christians in praising you for the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received forgiveness and eternal life. Grant us, therefore, Father, the grace to observe a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, by fasting, by self-denial, by reading and meditating on your word. Grant that we may remember that though we are dust and to the dust we shall return, that we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.